This is your host, Natalie Allport, and welcome to the 100th, yes, 100th episode of the All In Podcast. I just want to say how grateful I am for you, the listener, for supporting this podcast, for the positive messages and reviews that we get every single week, because that is what keeps me going. And I'm so excited to go for 100 more, hopefully much more than that, and keep having some amazing guests share their insights on this podcast. Now, we have an amazing guest for this 100th episode, but before we dive into that, I want to also mention that we are going to be running a giveaway to thank you, the listener, on today, uh, September 24th, 2021. So if you're listening to this today, head over to my Instagram page at Natalie Allport. You can also follow the podcast page at The All In Project over on Instagram for some giveaways and a chance to win some great prizes. On The All In Podcast, we have Dre Baldwin. Dre is a nine-year pro basketball veteran. Now, what is interesting about his story is he actually failed to make his high school team three years in a row. Not only that, but when he did get to play, he was on the bench. He then went on to walk on to a Division Three school to play college basketball, and then went on to play pro, one of two players to ever go pro from his Division Three school. So it was in no means a basketball producing school. In this episode, we talked about his journey, but most importantly, we talked about the concept of confidence. We talked about how you can build confidence and how this differs from egotistical nature, narcissism, or uh, cockiness. We also talk about the be, do, have concept. Now, this is something that we've talked about before on the podcast, and I was so glad that he brought this up and took this conversation in that direction. Dre is a four-time TEDx speaker. He has over 100,000 followers on his YouTube channel where he helps other athletes and people from all walks of life when it comes to working on their game in sport, business, and life, and their mindset. At the end of this episode, Dre also mentioned some links that I put in the show notes where he has offered freebies to the audience. I wanted to mention this in the introduction before we get into this chat because I think they would be extremely valuable. He has offered a free copy of his book. The link is again in the show notes and he's offered a free 30 minute session with you. So make sure to check that out after you've taken a listen. This episode was amazing. I hope that you enjoy it. And so without further ado, let's go all in. Welcome to the All In Podcast. We have Dre Baldwin on the show today. Dre, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Natalie. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, I'm excited too. And you're joining all the way from Miami. So at least we're in the same uh, time zone here. But how's it going in Miami? I know the weather and everything must be vastly different from life up here in Canada for me. Yeah, it's beautiful. So for the last uh, probably 30 days, it's been 88 degrees with a chance of showers every single day and humid. That's pretty much the weather here through July, August, and about half of September. So what is it like there? Yeah, humidity is super high. It makes training, uh, yeah, pretty hard to to get through, honestly. Um, How has it been for you with training and through the humidity and the heat? Because I think people who haven't ever experienced the humidity of like the East Coast, they don't understand that. Mm. 
Yeah, so for me, I always love the humidity. I'm actually originally from Philadelphia, so a little bit in between where both of us are right now. So I always loved working out in the summertime, and that's actually you know where I actually kind of built my basketball game was on the blacktops in the summer when it was you know, quote unquote too hot for everybody else. So that's where I got access to the court because nobody else was out there. And once I realized it was too hot for everyone, and then you know you feel how cool it is around six o'clock when the sun goes down, I realized that I was in better shape for the evening games because I was working out in the summertime when it was so hot or in the daytime when it was too hot. So I'm actually built for it. So right now, as a matter of fact, right before we got on, I was looking up a couple 10K races that I want to run and try to win in the fall. So they'll be in like November when the humidity goes down. But if I can hit my numbers now in August, then when the humidity goes down, it'll be a piece of cake. So I actually like this kind of weather so I can get myself ready for when it's easier. Oh, I absolutely love that. That's so true. It's like train when, you know, the conditions are really tough or same thing with people who go and they acclimatize with the high altitude and then they get back down and they're just surpassing everybody else. What have you always had that same drive since you were kind of a kid to go out and train when nobody else was training? Once I tapped into my competitiveness and I realized there were some advantages that I could have over others, once I was able to kind of logically understand it. Yes, I've always been like that. So I always like to do like, um, I don't know what, I don't know if there's an exact term for it, but for example, when I was playing ball, I went and bought like a speed parachute and I would go to a football field and I would do sprints with the parachute. I mean, when in, when in a basketball game, you need to run that far, never. But it got me ready for, if I could do it on a football field, it's easy on a basketball court. Or I like to, now, we're here in Miami, everything's flat. There are no hills in Miami unless they're man-made. But where I went to school, which is in the mountains of Pennsylvania, Altoona, PA, I would like to run up hills, even yeah. though there are no hills in basketball. But if I can run up a hill full speed, then when I get on a flat surface, it's nothing. So I've always been into that stuff, like weighted vests. I had 50-pound weight vests I would do sprints with. So then you take the vest off, or even a basketball. I had this thing called the heavy ball. And it's a normal-shaped basketball, but it weighs three times the normal ball. So when you dribble it and you shoot it and you can dunk it and then they give you the regular ball, it feels like a tennis ball. So I've always been into doing that, like doing more than is required. So then when I you take all that stuff off and you had to do the, the regular thing, it's nothing because you trained yourself for three times what is actually necessary. So I've always been into that. That's awesome. I, I love that. I mean, I'm a big fan of hill sprints, weight vest. I have the, the train running parachute right. as well. Um, all that kind of stuff. Right. And it's really cool when you can go out and like push yourself at the times that no one else would. For example, in snowboarding, when mm. it was foggy, when it was rainy, it was like, okay, other people have more resources. So how can I go out and get better when nobody else is? And same thing now, right. um, the other day it was raining. It was like, it felt better that the endorphins after when you finish and you know, someone else would have quit, but you continued that is really right. a big driver. How have you built that mindset to, you know, push through where others would have quit? Well, that whole concept is what I call the third day. And that's uh, one of my most important frameworks is the topic of a, a book that I just recently put out. But it's all about understanding that we all get to that point. And anything that you do, even though it may look like all fun and games from the outside, or it may look very uh, enjoyable when you see somebody else doing it, who's good at it, that eventually you want to get to a point, usually around that third day, sometimes literally, usually metaphorically, that you realize, okay, this is not all fun and games. There's some actual work involved here. And 
I have to decide, am I really going to buckle down and do this and treat this like a job or am I going to quit or am I going to just kind of halfway it or only do it when I feel like doing it? But the reason that the subtitle of that book and that whole framework is what separates the pros from the amateurs. When you want to be a pro at something, you have to deal with the third day. And there is no there's nothing you can get involved in in life that does not come with that situation. I mean, people think that there may be, but anything that you do, I don't care if it's a business, a sport, a relationship, a podcast, writing a book, anything that you do, you're going to come across those moments when you don't really feel like doing it. And it's not so fun in that moment. But you signed up for it and this is your responsibility and that's when you really become a pro is when you can show up all the way in those moments not in the moments when you, you know feel like it everybody does well when they feel like it what do you do when you don't feel like it yeah no 100 percent. and i find often you know you get into a new workout program let's say or you're like i'm gonna mm-hmm. make the nba so i'm gonna train like this you get to the third day right. and it's extremely difficult and like you said like literally the further third day or metaphorically the third day but you're also probably mm-hmm. not yet seeing that progress because progress takes time i would love to go back to the start of your journey where you got cut from your high school basketball team um like three mm-hmm. years in a row and for those listening uh yeah. dre has been he played pro basketball for nine years after that so it's a pretty crazy story and i I know we're going to get into it but how did you keep pushing and not just say hey basketball basketball is not for me i'm gonna like do a new sport or focus on school or do something totally different well okay well let me i'll tell you i started playing when i was around 14 i was always into sports so i played a little bit of football, American football. I never got into like actual actual tackling part of it because my family couldn't afford football equipment. So I never really played football. Then I played baseball for a while. Wasn't really good at baseball. I mean, I tried, but I eventually got to the point I realized I'm not really good at hitting, throwing, you no know, fielding or catching. So I should probably find something else to do. Then I moved on to basketball. And by that point, I was age 14, which is actually pretty late if you want to go somewhere in a sport, any sport. Nowadays, you know, kids are putting the ball in your kid's crib. I mean, parents are putting the ball in the crib. So at 14, I was pretty behind the eight ball. So I tried out for my high school team three years in a row. We didn't have a JV or a freshman team. It was just one team. And I didn't make it my first three years. So after that third time that I got cut, I was in my mind trying to do some of those things that you just mentioned there. I was trying to reconstruct in my mind is at, you know, I'm 16 at this point. I didn't understand the concept of visualization. I didn't know what personal development was. I never heard of these things, but I had always been a person who visualized the things that I was going to do before they happened. Now, sometimes I'll visualize things and they didn't happen, like making a basketball team, but I would visualize things and they did happen too. So when I didn't get when I didn't make the team that third time, I started visualizing in my mind, okay, what else can I do? Um, can I be a, you know, cause my father is in, into music. So I'm thinking maybe I could be a musician. You know, he could help me out and show me how to do that. Or maybe I could just become a really good student and I could, cause my sister is really good academically and she had you no know, college scholarships and all that for academics. And maybe I could do that. And I said, no, probably not. And then uh, maybe I could be a, a rapper or something like that. And then no, didn't have talent for that. And I was just trying to reconstruct in my mind, who can I be as a person? Now, mind you, I'm only 16. So I would tell my younger self now, well, just explore life and maybe give yourself some time to grow. But at that time, I'm just trying to figure out who I want to be because my vision up to that point, Natalie, was that I'm going to be a basketball player. Now, usually what does a basketball player do? They usually make the basketball team. So I hadn't done that. So there was this conflict between my vision and reality. So after about a week, Natalie, I was just trying to reconstruct and figure out who am I as a person since it's clearly not a basketball player because my results are telling me that this is not it. 
I just kept coming back to basketball. The vision kept showing me basketball. So I just figured, looking back, I was just um, stupid enough to believe that I should keep trying. So I went and played on a local basketball team, like a recreation center team in my neighborhood that junior year of high school. And I did pretty well on that team. I was one of the better players on that team. Then I just tried out again my senior year of high school, and I made it that year. And didn't really do anything. I sat on the bench. I scored two points a game that year in high school. Now, those of you who don't know basketball, I know you got a lot of athletes watching this, so they understand two points is not a lot. Now, in soccer or hockey, two points is a lot. But in basketball, two points is nothing. Like you, might as well, you, you might as well have not even played in the game. So even coming out of high school, nobody said, well, this guy's going to go do something in college, even though I had made the team that one year. So I ended up you know, just walking on in college at the Division three level, which is just the third tier of sports. My school had never produced a pro basketball player before me. And even since me, only me and one of my teammates played pro. Nobody's even made it since then. Wow. So it's not like I went to some basketball factory, you know, so coming out of college, I had to hustle my way into the pros. So it was always for me, it was always the mental side of it that or I know I have some physical ability. I had enough to compete. Now it was just mentally, I had to have the discipline to keep working on my game, of course. And the mental toughness is just keep trying at points where most logical, reasonable people would have said, okay, this is clearly not the thing for me. I can enjoy basketball. I can like it. Maybe play at the local you know, rec center, the YMCA, some men's league, but professional, like, let's be serious. I was just, I just had to have the mindset to keep trying. So when I did eventually make it, quote unquote, then once people heard that story that I just told you, then they started asking me about the mindset. And that's kind of how I got to where I am now, because people just want to know, like, wait a minute, you, wait, you went through what and you still kept trying? What were you thinking to even do that? It wasn't even so much what was I physically capable of from the neck down. It was what was going on from the neck up. And that's really what, you know, what I'm into now is talking about that mindset aspect, even though it's not always necessarily talking to athletes. Yeah, the mindset piece is just so important. And I mean, there's been a bigger priority over the last few years in sports, but I think it can't be stressed enough, especially when you go over your story. And it shows that mm. maybe you didn't have the physicality to make the team in certain years, but it was that mental aspect that you had to keep going where most people would have gave up and they wouldn't have ever mm. realized their potential. And a lot of people talk about, for example, oh, someone has is born with a crazy VO2 max. So that's why they're the best runner. or That's why this and this. And so they use that mm. identity piece where they're like, I am not born like that. They have the fixed mindset. And so they don't go after that when they don't realize mm -hmm. that maybe they do have this high VO2 max that they would have never figured out if they actually put in the decade of training to figure out if it was possible. Or that decade of training is going to get them much further past someone with the natural born ability who never, ever pushed to that singular level. So how did that whole concept of identity kind of play into where you were like, okay, Dre, maybe my identity isn't a basketball player. And then you overcame that and realized, hey, no, I have the growth mindset. I can always get better. Well, I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> the, the main reason why I went in, so I didn't make the basketball team at my high school. And then there was a tryout for the local basketball team, maybe like a week or two later. So during that one or two weeks when I was devastated that I didn't make the team and I'm trying to figure out my identity, then I heard that there was going to be a team locally. And I couldn't figure out what else I could do with myself because I wanted to really just focus on I was going to go to school and then my discretionary time was going to be that other thing, whatever it's going to be. 
So since I couldn't come up with another vision, I said, all right, I might as well just try out for this local basketball team. What do I have to lose? So then I went and played on that team. And once I started having some success on that team, it, it started to rebuild my confidence that maybe I can make the team. And then the coaches, the local coaches, because they knew me. I mean, I go to the playground all the time to play ball. And they're like, Dre, they saw me playing well on the local team. They're like, well, why didn't you make your high school team? And I'm like, man, I just didn't make it. They're like, well, you should be on the team. They weren't saying it like like your mom would say it, like just telling you something to gas you up. They were saying it like, like you clearly can play. You should be on the basketball team. So this started to build up my confidence a little bit more. And so then at the end of my season playing for that local team, I had the confidence that I could play. I just needed to be able to show it in that one day because the thing with basketball tryouts is one day. You practice all year, all summer, and get yourself all hyped up. Basketball trials, you get it's about an hour. You got about one hour to impress one person after a whole year of practicing. And every boy in the school is trying out for the basketball team. Because where I'm from, you know, anybody who's from that area, Baltimore, New Jersey, New York, Philly, D.C., every young man thinks he can play basketball. They can't all play, but they all think they can play. So everybody tries out for the team. So you get one day to impress that coach. And luckily, that last year, I was able to make that happen. But my confidence was built up to the point that I knew I could play. And even if I had not made it that year, Natalie, I probably would have still tried to walk on in college, even if I hadn't played that one year in high school. So that identity thing in high school, again, I could not have articulated this at all. But just the fact that I couldn't think of anything else to do with myself and I wanted to give myself something to do. I didn't want to you know, just be standing on a corner or something like that. That's why I kept coming back to basketball. I love that. And I think that's a great example for people who maybe they've been told, like, if you're not good at something, switch. You got to find what it is you got to do. But for you, it was like that mm -hmm. same vision and passion of basketball. And so it is about, you know, follow those passions. And especially when you're young, you have time to fail for 10 years at following your passion. That's fine. I think you'll. it's better mm -hmm. to live with um, not having made it than the regret of never having tried. If you just have given up after right. that junior year, who would have known what your next 10 years could have been? And if you would have ever gone and, and gone pro or played uh, college or any of those things. So I think that's such an important, I guess, lesson in, in perseverance and in just kind of dropping the identity piece. Exactly. And it's just, again, luckily enough, I didn't have anyone in my ear saying you should definitely give it up or go do something different or do something else. And I think it's good that you know, we're talking like the late 90s here. So it's not like the Internet was the Internet. So it's not like I could look around and see a whole bunch of other people doing other things that would have you know, distracted my mind. All right, we had you no know, TV. We had a little bit of the Internet. <laughs> we had TV and magazines. And that was pretty much it. And that was all all of us did. The young guys in my neighborhood, we went to school, we might have had a little part time job at McDonald's or something. And we went to the playground and played basketball. That's all we did. So when I didn't make that team that year, I just said, all right, let me just try again. Once that opportunity came to play on the local team. And that's how I rebuilt myself. Wow. Yeah. You brought up a really good point um, about like the Internet and social media. And I find a lot mm -hmm. of the uh, time now that people spend comparison. Um, and so they compare themselves to others. For example, if they're into weightlifting, they go on the Internet and all of a sudden you can find all the best athletes in the world at weightlifting in your weight class or uh, your mm -hmm. age group or whatever it is. And you can be like, wow, how am I ever going to get from where I am now to there? And that can really prevent you from pushing through versus before that there wasn't that comparison. But on the other flip side, you can use some of those um, same videos or things in a way of inspiration where, okay, if that person made it from where they were, 
to where they are now, then I can do it too. How do you uh, attack that? And how do you advise the next generation when they're going through those same things of comparison and trying to switch it into inspiration? Man, Natalie, that's something that I've been telling people in my audience, especially athletes, especially when my message was directed 100% to athletes, been telling them that forever. Like, yes, you can go and look and see what a LeBron James did or what a Kobe did or whatever athlete or even what I did, but you still have to be yourself. Like when you get done watching that video, you still have to go out there and you have to do the things that you're going to do for you. And not everybody even has to be an athlete. For some people, it's not going to be sports. They're not going to become a professional athlete playing their sport, but you can still love the game. And for some people, they will. But in order for you to become that pro at what you do at anything, you can't live somebody else's life. Like You can't live somebody else's blueprint. You have to take the elements from other people, whether it be from Natalie, whether it be from Dre, from whoever. Take the elements that work for you and mix them in and make your own, you gotta create your own game. You gotta figure out what your own style is gonna be. Because if you try to follow someone else's blueprint 100%, you're doing what they did, but you're not them. You're not being who they are as a person. And the process is be, do, have. So if you try to do what somebody else did, but you're not being them, which is impossible, then you could take somebody's whole element, every single thing they did and follow it to the letter and still not get the result simply because you're not that person. So take those pieces and then you mix them in and you make them your own. So that's always been a big thing that I've told athletes. And I, luckily for me and the athletes who are listening to me, I'm able to articulate that and help them understand like, yes, I'm gonna show you what I did and I'll tell you what I did and I'll explain it, but I'm also gonna give you the, dis the disclaimer that you don't need to do exactly what I did because I did it, I might be a generation older than them or I might have done it in a place that they're not at. I did it in Philadelphia, you're in California. It may be a completely different system. All right, your school might have a JV and a freshman team. Imagine if my school had one, I might have a completely different story, a completely different trajectory. So you really had to think about all of these elements. I mean, my parents were around, they were supportive, but they were kind of like, uh, they kind of just left it alone. Like he makes the team, he makes it, he doesn't, he doesn't. They weren't driving me to AAU tournaments or hiring coaches, but the kind of parents I hear from these days, I mean, they're oh, willing to yeah. invest in their kids like they're, like it's college <laughs> for basketball. And I'm like, well, your son's five, seven, he can't jump. I don't know if he's gonna make it, but hey, <laughs> if you wanna invest in it, go ahead. But so it's a completely different set of circumstances that each person has. Every human being is unique and we all have a unique, a unique um, set of circumstances that we're dealing with. So what each of us has to learn to do, and I wish someone had taught this to me, but now I teach it to other people is, again, take from other people what works for you and leave out what does not work for you. But make sure you're not only handpicking the parts that are fun. You also gotta understand that whole third day mentality. You gotta do the hard stuff too. Not just the stuff that looks flashy and the stuff that gets all the attention, but the hard work that puts them in a position to be as good as they are. And that's is it is an interesting mix that you kind of kind of have to figure out. So I try to be that voice for people when I'm telling them. I'll tell you the good parts, but I'm also going to tell you the parts that you might not be so excited about. But without these parts, without that foundation, then you can't build the building on top of it, so to speak.
Right. And often it's those flashy fun parts are the ones that make it onto social media. And so you take someone's training and you're like, okay, this is how they're training. This is the fun part. This is this. I'm only going to do this. That's actually probably not what got them there. It's not the hard work. It's not the grind. It's not the things that they do behind the scenes to be able to show those highlights. So such an important Mm -hmm. point. And something else that you brought up that I think is so important is the concept of be, do, have. And that's actually something we did a whole episode on. We did a a post series on. It's something I wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. believe. So could you dive deeper into what that means, the be-do-have mentality or kind of formula? Sure. And I'm glad you said that because that's something that I talk about all the time as well. It's uh, pretty simple. And the way that I explain it to people is I break it down in reverse order. So everyone understands the concept. I think most people who listen to podcasts understand the concept of goals. Uh, You have goals. You have things you wish to achieve. Uh, You want to get a car, you want to make a certain amount of money, you want to achieve certain outcomes in your sport, in your business, in your life, in your family. All right. So you have all your goals, the things you want to have. And most people who have goals also understand that you can't get something for nothing. So you had to do some work. Most people, again, who have goals understand hard work. All right. We understand uh, what is it? Team no sleep, grind season, working hard, you know, wake up early, stay late. You know, everybody understands the hard work aspect of it. And the challenge, Natalie, is that many people spend their lives just doing these two steps. They set goals, then they work hard to reach the goals. They look, all right, did I reach my goals yet? No, let me work harder. Did I reach them yet? Not yet. Let me work harder. All right, this one I didn't reach yet. I got to do some more work. So it's just work hard, try to get the goal. Work hard, try to get the goal. The problem with this process is that people never ask themselves the third and the most important question in this whole thing, which is who do I need to be? What type of person do I need to be while I'm doing the hard work so that I can reach the outcome? So for example, let's just take someone who has their, they have their goals laid out and they understand, okay, I need to do all this work to reach my goals. Those are not bad things. You're not doing anything wrong. The question you have to ask yourself before you start doing the work is the following. What type of person do I need to be while I'm doing this work in order to achieve this outcome. Because the thing is, for everyone, if you already were that person, you would already be doing the things and you would already have the outcome. So since you don't have this outcome yet, because there are goals, meaning you haven't reached them yet, that means there's some type of person you have not yet become. When you become that person, and the way you become someone is just by the way that you think. What you see when you look in the mirror, the way you are conducting yourself, your posture, your actual tangible posture and also your mental posture. When that changes, you can take the exact same action steps, meaning do the exact same things you were doing yesterday. You're going to get a completely different result. Why? Because you changed your energy. And anyone can think of example just from your own life. Let's say you were trying something, you were working on something, it wasn't working, it wasn't working, it wasn't working. You knew you were following the steps that you wanted to follow, but it wasn't producing the result. But then all of a sudden your energy changed for whatever reason. Maybe you got really happy because you got some good news and all of a sudden you didn't have so much anxiety or so much stress. You weren't pressing so hard Then you did the same thing, all of a sudden it worked. Maybe you got angry because you got tired of the thing not working and you just got a sharper focus and all of a sudden you were able to push through. Maybe you just got a little piece of advice from someone like, hey, keep trying is going to work out and it boosted your confidence. You did the exact same thing and all of a sudden you got a different result. When you change your energy and you change your focus and you change your, again, your mental posture, all of a sudden it changes the results of the actions that you take. So often when people are not getting their outcomes in life, Natalie, they think is something that they're not doing. 
most of the time when people come to me for advice, and I'm sure to you as well, when they come for advice, they usually are asking about what do I need to do? And they tell you all the things they did. I did this, this, this. I'm doing this, this, this. I get basketball players all the time. They would send me their whole workout program. This is what I do Monday through Sunday. I do this many jump shots, this many dribbles. And they say, well, can you tell me, can you critique the programs, right? What I had to do different so I can be a good player. And I would look at the program and I say, well, it's nothing about the program. If you feel like you're not the type of player you want to be yet, it's not that you need to do 100 more jump shots. Maybe you do, but the first thing you got to do is change who you see when you look in the mirror. You got to change who you're being as a person because when you change that, then the actions automatically come with it. It's like if I say I'm a, a champion snowboarder, okay, well, a champion snowboarder probably is not going to thrive living in Miami. I might have to move, all right, somewhere where I can actually get some snow. All right, my, my, I might have to do something different. I don't know anything about snowboarding, but hopefully I got that example right. But if I want to be a, a great basketball player, then I'm probably going to need a gym membership somewhere that has a basketball court. All right, those are, again, the actions automatically come from the being. So when you figure out who you need to be as a person and you look at that list of the thing, person you need to be, the actions will automatically make sense if you just look at that being. So that's how the be, do, have process works. Now you enact it in the order of be, do, have, but you plan it out in the order of have, do, be. Does that make sense? Yes, I love that. And I love the whole concept of working backwards and, and breaking it down all up to, you know, who do you have to be and then starting there and putting it into action. I think it's so important from, you know, a performance standpoint, but I also think it's so important from like a mental health standpoint, because often people think, OK, if I do these actions that someone else did to have these things that I want because I saw they have it make this much money or become pro at this or whatever it is then they think that they're going to become someone, like become a happier person, become the person who deserves that, right? And then there's right. that gap. They think that they're never enough or um, that they until they have that thing, that's going to switch the being. But then that thing is always a moving target because it doesn't work that way. You have to be first. Otherwise, those things that you have are going to be, it's going to be inconsistent. How can you hold on to them if you're not that person first? Or exactly. how can you consistently do those actions if you're not that person first? So I think it just is such an important concept. And I'm so glad that you, you spoke about it and explained it in length because um, I, I want everyone listening to take that into, into heart because we see a lot in this world where we compare to our neighbors and say, we just want to have their amount of money or um, be able to spend all our day training like they do or whatever it is. And if we just start there with the having uh, and not the actual mm. being, we skip all these possibilities of who we could be because I think we look at the things that they have, but we realize that may not be actual end goal. Maybe your goal is freedom, but someone looks mm. and they say, well, I think I need to have a million dollars to be free. And then they work the whole life, realize they spent no time with their kids and now they have a million dollars and they're on their deathbed and they never actually achieved that goal. But it was because they were just chasing the have, mm. thinking it was going to lead to the actual main goal. Right. And the thing is, when it comes to the have, that be, do, and have is like, I don't know if you ever read articles or seen stories about people who win the lottery mm. and then they end up more broke than they were before they won the lottery. Yeah. They went straight to the having part. They didn't do anything. Well, they played, they bought a lottery ticket. They didn't do the work to get that money and they never became the type of person who could be a good steward of that money. So even though they had all that, the thing that apparently everybody wants, they couldn't hold on to it because they had not yet become the type of person who was worthy of having that thing. So this is what happens with people when they're handed something that they didn't earn. 
is that they usually end up blowing it because they didn't earn it. They didn't do the work. So they didn't build themselves up to be that type of person and they didn't do the work to earn it. So they end up being separated from the thing that they were had, they were handed. So this is why, you know, whenever you know, people would talk about well, when I was a kid, people talk about the value of hard work. You know, kids, you kids got to understand the value of hard work. Nobody explained it the way that we're talking about it right now, but that's what they meant. Now we're filling in the gap is that you need to become the person in the process of doing the work so that when you do get the outcome, you are worthy of that outcome. You're worthy of that result so that you can hold on to it. It's just like you know, getting around the right types of people and building relationships. I could throw you in a room with a bunch of really high level individuals, but if you have not yet become one yourself, you're not going to stay in that room for too long. All right? they want, they're going to want you out of the room because what can you add to the conversation? So all of that is part of it. You have to do the becoming first because if you go straight to the having, you won't be able, you won't stay there. It'll only be temporary. And then you'll feel worse because you know what it feels like, but you couldn't keep it. Mm, I love the lottery example. It's such a good example. And it happens. I, I don't know what the stat is, but I feel like it's a majority of people who win the lottery actually end up worse off after winning it, both right. like mentally and financially uh, losing it exactly. because they don't understand how to, how to how to hold on. So I want to go back to something that you mentioned, and I think it relates to this concept as well, which is just the whole topic of confidence and building our confidence. And you talked about how growing up you had coaches who they didn't knock your confidence. So they didn't say, okay, you know, you're never going to make it. They did tell you that you could, you know, make it to, to the high school uh, team in the high school level and that you, you did deserve to play there. How important was having those external uh, people validating that? And how can somebody who isn't confident become more confident so that they feel worthy of those things that they're working towards? Great question. So I got to tell you the whole story. That's not, some of those same coaches a few years earlier weren't so uh, validating. It wasn't that they were so much saying, well, you'll never make it in basketball. They weren't saying that. But I had coaches who, when I was 17, 18, and I was doing well, and they would say, Dre, you should be on the team. When I was 15, 16, and not doing so well, they were saying, well, Dre, I heard you used to play baseball. Maybe you'll be better at that. No, the same person. But once they saw that I had the results, then they started to come around, which leads to my answer to your question that, first of all, people got to understand what confidence is. Confidence is a belief in your ability to do something. And confidence is a self-fulfilling prophecy, meaning if you do not have confidence, then you will come up with more reasons to not have confidence. And if you have it, you will come up with more reasons to have it. Now, how confidence is built, or my framework around confidence is what I call the super you. It's about unlocking and living with your highest level of confidence. And sometimes people conflate, when I explain the super you, they conflate it with uh, fake it till you make it. But I do not believe in fake it till you make it. I personally don't believe in it. It's a story that I like to tell as a basketball player. He was on his high school team. And one day the coach says, I'm going to assign each of you players to pretend to be one of your teammates today. So he went down the line. There's only 12 guys in the gym. So he tells each player, you're going to be him. You be him. You be him. He's just assigning each player to be one of his teammates because they all know each other. So the coach says, whatever the person you're supposed to be, whatever they do well all the time, today you do that. Whatever they do good, you do it. And whatever they do poorly, whatever mistakes they always make, you make those mistakes because I want each of you to notice through your own teammates, they're going to show you who you are. So you don't think it's just me as a coach hating on you or I'm always talking down on you. Let your own teammates show you who you are as a person, as a player rather, so that you know it's not just coming from me. So as he's going down the line assigning this, our, the guy who told me the story, his, his kid, his name was Tucker. He got assigned to be his the best player on the team is a guy named Mike. 
Now, Tucker, the storyteller, is like the 10th best player on the team. He's a mediocre player on his best day. But his assignment is he has to be the best player on the team all day in practice today. So what I usually ask the audience, Natalie, I'll ask you, how do you think Tucker played in practice that day, given this assignment? I mean, hopefully at his best. <laughs> yeah, so well, I usually ask the audience and, and see what people vote. And it's usually pretty split, but the answer is he played better that day than he had ever played in his life. Like he was playing out of his mind. He's doing all kinds of fancy moves. He's taking and making shots that he never even tries. And his teammates are looking at him slack jaw, like, where is this coming from? Because he had never done this before. And what he had tapped into, that's what I call the super you. And when I explain it, people say, okay, well, Dre, what he did was kind of like fake it till you make it. He was pretending to be his best, the best player on the team, and he did well. And I say, well, not exactly, because when he was doing those moves and shooting the ball and it was going in the basket, he wasn't faking the move. He wasn't he didn't pretend that the ball went in the basket. It actually happened. So what he was actually doing was becoming it. And there's a huge difference between faking something and becoming something, because when you're faking, it's kind of like, you know, the story of Cinderella, that she gets the beautiful ball gown and goes to goes out with the prince. But when the clock strikes 12, she goes back to wearing rags again. That's what happens when you fake it till you make it. That is temporary. Eventually it ends and you have to go back to who you were. When you become it, you have elevated yourself to a whole new level and you can stay at that level for as long as you want, as long as you can maintain that mentality. And this is why it's so important for all of us when anyone talks about writing down your goals and writing down what you need to do, writing down what type of person you need to become. And I've written books on this subject and done a lot of content on this subject is making sure that you're looking at that stuff on a consistent basis because it keeps your mind on track, focused on this is the type of person that I am, not that I'm going to be, but that I am right now in the present moment. And when you tell yourself that you are a different type of person, your posture changes, your energy changes, the way you walk and talk changes, the things that you accept and don't accept, they change. And this is an immediate change. This is not you need six months to work on it. This is something you can change right now in the moment. So and it changes your state and you can stay in that state for as long as you want. So when it comes to confidence, you can step into a confident state at any moment that you want to. And when you do that, your actions are going to change. And then in turn, your results are going to change. So when it comes to confidence, I forgot even what your question was, Natalie. I don't want to make sure I'm not going too far here. What no, was this question? is perfect. This is, it's all, yeah, I just asked you about confidence, the, you know, the importance of it and how you were able mm. to overcome uh, going from, or oh, right. how you can advise others to go from not being confident into the confident state. Yeah, so... Me growing up, I didn't really have the confidence. So this is the reason why I wasn't making a basketball team, because I would get in front of a big crowd or an audience of people who I didn't know. And I wouldn't perform the same way that I did when I was by myself or when I was in familiar environments. So really, I just had to put myself through the fire. And this is something that I tell athletes, especially athletes. I mean, any of us who plays a sport knows that in order for you to really get to your highest level of confidence, you're going to have to get your ass kicked a few times. This is just part of the game. You have to go through that. There are very few exceptions. Maybe you got some wrestlers or boxers who never lose their entire career. But if you're playing a sport like basketball, baseball, football, you're going to lose. You're going to get beat. You're going to get embarrassed, crossed over, dunked on, struck out, whatever it happened, whatever can happen to you in your sport is going to happen to you. And you have to go through that and then wake up and realize, OK, it wasn't that bad. I made it through it. 
I can come back stronger, I can get better. You have to go through those failures, if you want to call it that, in order to build up the confidence. And just like, you know, the Michael Jordan, old Michael Jordan commercial said, 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. But because I've gone through those failures, that's the reason why I'm successful. I do not fear going through the failure. And that's what the confidence is about. Confidence is not the necessarily the absence of fear. The thing that I like to tell people confidence is, it's you giving yourself permission to no longer conform to be who you've always been. And that's what that kid did in that, that story I told you about high school. He just didn't, he didn't need to conform to being the person that he thought everyone else expected him to be. He said, I'm gonna step into this brand new being and everybody's gonna be looking at me crazy because they don't expect this from me and I'm gonna do it anyway. And that's really what confidence is about, is stepping into the being that you wanna be, not worrying about what other people think of you, other people's opinion of you, and conforming to what they want you to be, but being who you wanna be as a person. And when you do that, you're gonna get funny looks. Are people gonna make comments because most people are not willing to do that. Most people don't even understand a concept, let alone would they do it even if they did understand it. So when you do it, they're gonna look at you strange, but the question is, okay, well, do you wanna be like everybody else or do you wanna be like yourself? So that's, I mean, we can go on and on talking about confidence, but when I built mine, um, just working on my game, of course, I had to actually have some skill. We can't leave that out. You do actually have to have the ability to do the thing. And then you have to have the belief to actually execute that skill when it's called upon. And the more you practice, the more you can do it instinctively so you don't have to consciously think about what to do. You can just go ahead and do it because instincts work infinitely faster than conscious thought. You know conscious thought's pretty fast, instincts are a lot faster. So that instinctive ability just comes from practice. Doing something over and over and over again, that's the discipline, that's the repetition. No, that's the third step. So discipline creates confidence. Right. And it's that, you know, having that experience and knowing that you put in the work, especially athletes get super nervous before a big event or a big game. But if mm -hmm. they know that they put in the work, then it's like, OK, well, I can be confident that I deserve to be here and, you know, let the cards fall as they may and accept the failure because, you know, you put in the work. And so if you miss the shot, hey, you miss the shot, but you put in the work to make sure that you can hit most of those shots and you're going to keep going after it. And I think that you also sure. touched upon uh, with what you said about kind of the difference between even confidence and cockiness, which I think a lot of people kind of look at lumped together as one and the same when they are very different, where it's almost the fake it till you make it type of mindset, where you just go mm -hmm. out and are trying to impress other people or whatever, but you don't have that actual instinctual belief to back it up, which is confidence is just the instinctual belief, but it's also knowing that it's okay to fail. And if you do fail, you'll be okay. I think when people are cocky mm -hmm. or overconfident, it's because they they want to put on the show to other people and so they have this confidence but it's also that they're actually scared that they won't be okay if they do fail they can't handle that public embarrassment or those hits and i think that's an important differentiator between the two um because i know people always are like oh that person is cocky or they're overconfident and all this and they use those as negative terms but there is a big difference right yeah, there is. And I have a, I remember I made a, a video on YouTube years ago where I said how to be so confident that people think you're cocky. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that I try to explain to people is that confidence is a relative term because each of us has our own level of confidence. And sometimes you could be so confident that other people don't understand your confidence simply because they've never experienced that level of confidence themselves. They haven't put in the work that you put in. They haven't executed the discipline that you have. So your level of self-belief is so high relative to theirs that they can't fathom, they can't understand it. 
And at that point, they had two choices. They could either start doing work to get to where you're at in mindset wise, even if they're not doing the same thing, or they can find a way to mentally try to kind of pull you down. And the way that in our society that we pull people down is that we just put negative labels on them. It's not that we actually pull them down from their ability. It's that we put a negative label on them. So yes, this person seems to be more confident than me. Oh, that's just because they're cocky. It's just because they're an asshole. It's just because they're conceited. It's just because they think they're better than everybody. That's not actually the thing. It's just that they've done the work mentally that other people haven't done. So they get this label. So I, what I try to tell people all the time is those labels are very relative. It depends on who's talking, who they're talking about. And it, I think often it says a lot more about the person who is putting the label out there than the person who's receiving it. Mm, yes, that's very, very true. And speaking on that mm. topic, what would be like one piece of advice that you could give to somebody who's dealing with these haters or these people who are judging them or putting these labels on them? <laughs> well, the number one thing is when people are saying, let's say, a negative thing about you, that they're not really talking about you. They're really talking about themselves. And I explain to people that most of us do not spend hardly any time thinking about other people. Most of our time that we're thinking about a person, we're thinking about ourselves. Even if we're talking about another person, even if we're looking at another person, even if we're saying their name, we're not really talking about them. We're talking about how what we see in them reflects on us. It's our idea of what we see in this person. It's not really about that person. So anytime that a person feels like they have haters or people are being negative or people are you know, trolling or whatever you think people are doing that is directed at you, they're, only, they're just using you. They're basically a canvas that they're just using you to paint their own visions and their own ideas about themselves. They're just using you as an example. That's it. It's not really about you. So when you can understand that, when people can really internalize that on an emotional level, you will stop being so self-conscious about what other people are thinking about you because they're not really thinking about you at all. And all of us are narcissistic in that way that we think the whole world revolves around us. And to each of us, it does. To each of us, the world does revolve around us because everything we see, we're seeing it through the paradigm of our own, our own eyes. But when it comes to, let's just say somebody is talking negatively about you and it, let's say they publicize it or they post it on social media and they're talking bad about you. There are a lot of different ways you can look at it. One of them is, well, I mean, you're doing something that's drawing attention. Depending on, it depends on really the makeup of the person. If you have that type of makeup, somebody like myself, you know, I come from playing ball in the inner city. When you play ball in the inner city, there's guys standing on the sideline, trash talking you the whole game, or just trying to get a response out of you. They, they don't really mean anything that they're saying. They're just trying to get you to pay attention to them instead of paying attention to the game. Because if you pay attention to the game, you'll be so good, you're going to beat the team that they're cheering for. So it's just understanding at least you're drawing their attention, which means you're probably doing something good. And I think that kind of mental toughness, I think, a lot of athletes need that. I think that's needed these days. Actually, not just athletes, but everybody needs that kind of mental toughness because these days in the in society, I I see a lot of people kind of kind of backing down from that. A lot of people kind of getting bullied out of their position, bullied off of their square because they're receiving negative feedback for whatever they're doing or whatever they people think that they're doing, and then they're kind of kind of backing off of it. And I think. Uh, we need people who have the mental fortitude and the, the balls, so to speak, to just say, you know what? OK, you can say whatever negative you want. I know that I'm I'm standing on solid ground here. And if you feel a negative way about it, you want to say something negative about me, that's fine. But 
your negative talk is not going to stop me from doing me and being who I want to be as a person. I feel like that kind of uh, mental toughness is necessary for people. And to take that negativity and work through it anyway, I think people need to go through that. I don't know how it's happening for, let's say, somebody who's 14, 15 years old these days, but the era that I come from, uh, you didn't have a choice. You either you work through it or you stop coming to the playground. Uh, those are only choices you had. Right. No, I think that's great advice. And it's important uh, for people to know, especially young people, that it is it's someone else's real perceived reality and it's what they see out of you or what triggers them from what you're sharing. Like if you're sharing something that's happy and positive and they're saying something negative, it's because they're in such a negative state that seeing you happy and positive is triggering something within them. And so that's where mm -hmm. those negativity is coming from. And so separating that can really help you deal with, you know, the hate that you get or, or whatever it is. And I also think what's right. kind of cool, because I know we talked about social media and comparison earlier, but is that I found that once you make that realization, Social media is almost therapeutic in a sense because you can work through some of those things that you have in your own head as well. Because if I see, let's say, Dre, you post something uh, that I don't agree with. Well, instead of like triggering me and I'm like, oh, let me like comment something rude or negative, I can work through it and be like, okay, because I am exposed to this post that triggered me in some way, how can I figure out what that was? Like, what is it in my life that's making me being triggered by this? Or what is it when I see someone on vacation that's making me feel like I have fear of missing out or whatever it is? It actually can make us confront some of these things within us when we're in the mindset to be able to have that feedback and go through that process. Yeah, that's true. And then what I like to tell people is, I like to tell people that I am a hater. I'm a hater in, in a, a positive way. So meaning, let's say if me and you were playing the same sport, or let's say we were competing and trying to go after a similar goal and you do better than me. All right, you get the gold medal, I get the silver medal. Or you go win some event that I was in, but I finished in 10th place. And I see that, I'm hating on you. I'm looking at you like, damn, she got it over me. Now I can look at that as a negative and start saying negative things or thinking negative things about you. Or I can say, damn, she's doing better than me. I need to go work on my game. Let me get off this Instagram and go to the gym so that I can get in first place next time. And whatever she did, I'm going to do better than that. So you can use that hate or that um, that envy, that jealousy. You can use that in a way to actually drive you. It's just you just have to have it set up in your mind that it's OK to recognize because I'm the type of person I'll recognize that because nowadays nobody wants to say that. Right. Nobody wants to admit that they're hating. Nobody wants to admit that they're jealous or envious of another person. Listen, I see people do things and I'm like, damn, like they, they're doing better than me. I need to do better. Now, I use that as fuel for myself to go and get better and maybe even outdo them because I'm, I'm just a competitive person. I look at everything as a competition, but that's just the way that I'm wired. So every person needs to kind of understand that about themselves. If you're that competitive type of person, use that envy, use that jealousy to push you to go outdo the person who just outdid you. And they may never even know that you're using them. They, only, they might not even know you exist, but you can still use them in a positive way. It's just you have to be in touch with who you are as a person and be honest about it, at least with the person that you see in the mirror. You don't have to tell the whole world. Just be honest about it with yourself. So important. And I think that's why it's important what you brought up about that everything is just the reflection of yourself. Um, and right. so we can use that to our to our own benefit when we realize, oh, wow, you know, I'm seeing myself in a different light because of this post or because of my interaction with this person or this loss or this win or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, mm -hmm. getting out there and taking action and seeing other people and interacting with other people um, can benefit us because we can learn from other people uh, because it's a reflection that we see in them of ourselves that can really benefit us. 
Um, mm-hmm. I want to go back uh, quickly to something. I think you you mentioned it a little bit, but I want to kind of break it down into super actionable actionable advice for those listening. What is one uh-huh. exercise or like a, something that someone could do like right now, maybe it's journaling or something to improve their confidence? Mm, that's a really good question. The first thing that someone can do to improve their confidence right now is ask yourself, first of all, look at your goals, assuming that you have them. Who do you want to, where do you want to be, let's just say five years from now, and whatever you're working on. If it's a certain amount of money, uh, kind of car you want to drive, you want to have a, a family, you want to get to a certain position in your business, say it's your company, you want to get your business to a certain level of revenue, whatever it is, where do you want to be five years from now? Then ask yourself, in order for me to be there and achieve that outcome, to make that much money, to drive that car, what type of person do I need to be? Compared to who I am right now in this moment, what type of person do I need to be? If you're making 100000 right now and you want to make a million, what type of person do you need to be? What needs to change about who you are as an individual? All right, if right now you're ranked number 20 in the country, but you want to be ranked in the top five, what needs to change about who you are as a person between now and a year from now or now and six months from now? And come up with some answers to that question. Write down your answers, who you need to be, not things you need to do, not action steps, but who you need to be as a person. I'm talking about things that you can control just with this person right here in between your ears. What needs to change? Most people have usually never even asked themselves that question. The question has never even occurred to them. So when they ask themselves, when you ask yourself this question, you might need to sit with it for a little bit, but sit with it. Turn the music off, turn the internet off, don't, don't talk to anybody, don't smoke or drink anything, and really sit with that question and marinate on it until you start coming up with answers. Who do I need to be? How do you need to walk? How do you need to talk? How do you need to carry yourself? What does your energy need to be? How does your discipline need to be? Who do you want to see when you look in the mirror? How do you want people to feel about you when you walk into a room, when you walk out of a room, when you walk past and don't even speak to them? What, do you want pe- what impression do you want people to get of you as a person? And when you come up with answers, write down all of your answers. These are all being things, meaning thoughts, energy, just your internal state, your posture, no action, no actual tangible actions. And when you write down all those answers, then compare who you are right now to what you wrote down. And then ask yourself, which of these changes am I willing to make? And if there are too many changes that you're not willing to make, then you are then you don't really want to get to that outcome. Ideally, you are willing to make every single change that you have written down there. And when you look at those, you can make changes right there in the moment. So in the moment, you're going to change your posture. You might sit up a little bit more straight in your chair or you might be a little bit more positive about where you're going in your life. You might be a little bit more disciplined in making sure that you get somewhere on time instead of showing up two minutes late like you usually do. You will start doing things on a more disciplined level, a more positive level, a more intentional level, and the being, again, will automatically lead to the actions. All right, it will automatically lead to more actions. So if I say, all right, I'm a, I'm a pretty good shooter in basketball, my coach tells me I had to be more consistent as a shooter, I want to be the best three-point shooter in, in the country, the best three-point shooter in my, my league next season. All right, what needs to change? All right, I'm probably going to need to put more shots up. I'm probably going to need to be more serious about my shooting. I'm probably going to need to make sure I get sleep, proper sleep the night before I go to a workout. I'm going to you know, need to make sure that I'm putting the proper foods in my body. These are all actions. These are all doing. All right, who do I need to be as a person to make those things happen? All right. The being will automatically lead to me taking those actions. So write down who you need to be in order to achieve these goals and then look at yourself today 
and find all the conflicts. Every single one of them is probably going to be a conflict. Every single one of them. And then ask yourself, are, are, you willing to, are you willing to reconcile those conflicts by becoming this type of person right now? Because you become it first in your mind, then you take the actions, and then you get the results. I love that. Wow. I, I'm sure we could go on about this like all day. So definitely got to get yes, you, we can. <laughs> you to come back. Um, but I have a few questions, quick fire that I uh, ask everyone at the end. Um, the all first right. one is what is one daily habit that is the biggest game changer for you? Wow. I got so many daily habits. Uh, <laughs> man, I try to drink at least one ounce of water for every ounce of body weight, every pound of body weight, not ounce, every pound of body weight. I got a lot of habits, man. I love that one. No, that's that's important. (laughs) I I had someone answer brushing their teeth and I was like, well, that's important too. So (laughs) (laughs) that is important. Yeah, it was a good one. Um, Okay, so this next one is scenario. You're at the end of your life. You're looking back on all the things that you've done. When you look back, what is the impact that you wanted to have made? I want to have inspired other people to be who they truly wanted to be as a person who then can in turn inspire others to do the same thing so that everybody is helping rise the tide of the ocean, so to speak. I love it. The ripple effect and paying it forward. I think that's that's so important. Um, Okay. And the last one is if people want to find out more about your content, work with you, all those great things, where can they go and find you? Well, I got two things. First of all, I got my newest book, The Third Day. I got it here. This is I just I mentioned this earlier. I give this. This is the decision that separates the pros from the amateurs. It's all about what do you do in those moments when you don't quite feel like showing up, when energy is not quite there, the newness has worn off. How do you show up and do the work anyway? I will give you a free copy of this book, paperback version. All you're going to do is cover the shipping. It is at thirddaybook.com. To Canada, it is, I believe the shipping is $19.95. To USA, $9.95. So that's thirddaybook.com. And other thing is, I just opened up my uh, mastermind programs, the only place I offer one-on-one coaching. So anyone who wants to hop on a free Zoom call with me and talk about you know, where you're at, where you want to go, how I could possibly help, that'll be at workonyourgameuniversity.com slash all in. That's a special link specifically for listeners to your show. So workingthegameuniversity.com slash all in. Perfect. That's amazing. I will put those links in the show notes. And definitely if uh, all your programs, your book is anything like this episode, I'm sure people will definitely want to go over there. Um, So I definitely recommend if you're listening to this episode, you enjoyed it. Go check out workonyourgameuniversity.com slash all in and definitely go to, is it the third day.com or the third day Third day, thirddaybook.com. I should have said it three times. Thirddaybook.com. All spelled out. Thirddaybook.com. Yeah, again, that'll be in the show notes and highly recommend. So thank you so much for coming on. This has been incredible. Uh, I'm sure there's so many actionable insights for the audience and really just appreciate your time and all the work that you're doing and the content that you put out to help other people and pay it forward. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Natalie. Thank you for sharing your platform. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.